This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. How are you? I am Mary Walter here in for Brian Kilmeade. It is great to be with you today. Uh, we have a lot going on. There is just so much. You know, I, I keep thinking every day today's going to be the day when I, I, you know, I get on the computer, I turn on the TV, whatever it happens to be, and there's nothing there. There's nothing going on. And people are bored, but it just doesn't seem to be happening at all. Let's start off talking about money. Let's start talking about your money. Politicians never talk about it like it's your money. They talk about it like it's their money. So let's find out what they're doing with that money. Liz Peake is a Fox News contributors columnist for foxnews.com and The Hill. Follow her on Twitter at Liz Peake with two E's. Liz, thank you for joining me on The Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Good morning. I'm terrific. Happy to join you. So Liz, um, you know, Joe Biden famously said he's not going to raise taxes on anyone who makes under $400,000 a year. Then we find out that that wasn't actually really true. He was raising taxes on people who make less than $400,000 a year. What did it turn out to be? It was was, uh, families that were making less than $400,000 a year. So most Americans go, well, that's great because that's the rich and I'm not rich. But in some parts of the country, that actually isn't rich. Am I am I wrong there? I, I look oh. at like the the corridor from Boston to D.C., California. That's not rich. No, that's completely right. That's kind of middle income uh, families that are trying to put their kids through school, et cetera, and trying to afford the housing in those incredibly expensive markets. That is what it takes. And look, I, I mean, this whole endeavor is a lie. Of course, he's going to be raising taxes on everybody because you can't just tax the upper 1%. That won't get you to $3.5 trillion or really the more realistic price tag of $5 trillion. It won't even come close. But let's look at some of the things that is in there, the uh, proposals from the House Ways and Means Committee. For example, taxing tobacco. Now, tobacco products, including cigarettes, vaping products, chewing tobacco, etc. Who do you think is going to pay those taxes? Of course, they are levied on the companies, the producers, the manufacturers. But in reality, it is going to be the consumers, the people who smoke or vape or whatever, uh, who end up swallowing the higher prices that those companies will pass along in order to cover their costs. That's what's happening. That's what happens when a company is facing higher rent, higher wages, or higher taxes. Obviously, they raise prices. Who are the main smokers in America? It is not the top 1%. It is a totally regressive tax, meaning it gets worse the lower the income level is, and this will land squarely uh, on the feet of people at the lower half of our income spectrum. But 
Mary, that's not it. I mean, that's not really even coming close to the disingenuous approach here. Uh, if you take a step back uh, and look at corporate taxes, I, I really, you, you really have to read Joe Biden's speech on the economy yesterday, I believe it was, to just understand how completely dis dishonest the entire approach is of this bill and the tax proposals. He talks about corporations as though we're going to sock it to the corporations. Who, who is corporations? Those are people. Those are wage earners. Those are shareholders, yeah. et cetera. And we know, I hate to always say there are studies, but there are many studies that show that when corporate taxes go up, wages do not grow as fast. That is just an absolute statement of fact. So who's going to really get hurt by this big increase that the Democrats want to put through on corporate uh, profits? It's going to be wage earners. It's going to be the people who work for those companies. And even though we all talk about uh, how terrific small businesses are, and they are, I really admire people who run their own shop and who invest and take a chance on the future by building their own restaurant or auto supply company or whatever it is. The truth is, that's about half the working population. The other half works for big corporations. So when you're raising taxes on big corporations, it hurts American workers. Do not even question that. It is absolutely true. So, you know, I'm, but, but, I'm so but, but, disgusted with all this. Let me just ask you, though. Let, let, let's, let me ask you about, because we, we've got some time here. Let me ask you about S-Corps, though. Aren't most small businesses, and what, I think when most people think small business, they think of the mom and pop working down the street in their little liquor store. That's what people think of. But small businesses are actually bigger than that. You have a lot of medical groups that are, that are S-Corps because they have, you know, three physicians in it. But out of, so those people, that gets paid through a, a personal tax ID, correct? Right. So right. it can show correct. that that person earned more than $400,000 when in reality, out of that money came paying all the employees, the rent, the lights, the equipment, all of the overhead, when the person themselves attached to that, that social security, excuse me, that, that, um, the tax ID, that person may have only taken home, let's say $200,000. Well, that's right. <clears throat> I mean, the truth is the way this is now set up, uh, they've removed some of the uh, exemptions and the things that were positive for those S-Corps. Small business, I would say, left to right, all kinds, all sizes, get totally screwed by the Democrats' tax uh, proposals. But again, how can we be surprised by that? You can't raise trillions of dollars on just the top 1%. It doesn't work. I mean, the numbers just don't work. So, yes, it, it is tremendously disadvantageous that they're raising the individual tax rate. Of course, that hits businesses that are basically paying taxes through the individual tax rate, as you point out. When you hike that substantially, and by the way, in cities where, like where I live, in New York City, don't ask me why, uh, when they push through these taxes, these tax hikes that they're talking about. And they're not even going, by the way, to the extreme levels that Joe Biden wanted. This is just what the House Ways and Means uh, Committee has proposed. I will be paying 60% of my incremental income to the government, one stage or the other, you know, federal, local, state, whatever. 60%. Now, I want to tell you, in Sweden, for example, which we all think of as a socialist nation, some years ago, uh, the, the woman who wrote the Pippi Longstocking books, a very famous woman in yes. Sweden, raised her hand at one point and said, I'm paying more to the government than I'm earning 
on every next book. I'm not going to write any more books. And you know what? Sweden kind of took a step back, looked at that disincentive that they had created for work and earning, and they changed their tax proposals. And they went to the point where people could make could, could benefit from what they were uh, producing and not give most of it over to the state. That's a ridiculous proposition. And believe me, it has an impact. People People will say, okay, you know, why don't I just retire because this is not – well, actually, what's really happening is that, honestly, almost, I would say 90 percent of the people I know in New York City are now Florida state residents because that extra 10 percent, they just don't want to give to uh, the government. But here's the thing. Move to Florida. That's awesome. But then they vote for the same stuff that they just left, and well, that's a big entirely. problem. Well, not entirely. Not entirely. Not entirely, but mean, in, they, they do. A lot of them do. Yeah, and uh, it's true that there is some of that, but I also think people are moving to Florida and saying, you know what, it's pretty good here. And, you know, as long as uh, this, the governor, Governor DeSantis, uh, and my representatives don't don't mess with this, I mean, why would you? Uh, it's one of the most prosperous uh, states in the nation. And gaining representation, that's one thing that People really haven't talked about that much, but Florida gained seats in the House of Representatives. Who lost them? California, New York, and other blue states that are driving people out. How can that not be a red flag for Democrat policies across the country? The fact that Gavin Newsom got uh, survived his recall effort is a real testament to the fact that people really don't understand the situation. So I have so many questions. So it seems to me if I were if I were a cynical person or if I had my tinfoil hat all polished up and ready to put on, I would say that Democrats are doing this on purpose in their drive for one party rule and power. And so what they look at this, they, they see Florida. They're well aware of Florida. They're well aware of the flight out of these reds, uh, out of these blue states into red states. Right. They're well aware of that. Yeah. But they look at it and they say, no problem. We're just going to repeal the salt tax cap. Right. We're going to get rid of that. And these rich states are going to they're going to subsidize these poor blue states. Because are we actually going to look at California if California goes bankrupt? Are we going to look at California and say we're not paying it? No, if you have a Democrat Congress and a Democrat in the White House, they're going to uh, they're going to appropriate the money from the red states and send it to the blue states well, and send it to those states in order to perpetuate this. Of course. And let's look at what's already happened. What was in the last bill? Three hundred fifty billion dollars for cities and states. Uh, and how was it appropriated? It was appropriated according to your unemployment rate. So the worst job you did, the most dreadful policies you had that discouraged work, uh, the more you had people on the dole and sitting on the sidewalks panhandling, the more money you got from the government. So we've already done that. We've already taken that step. And it was a preposterous thing. The whole $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan was an absurd thing. It, it basically rescued Democrats. But what we know is those cities and states didn't need the money. So what was it for? Right. It was basically for just what you're talking about, bailing out uh, cities and states that they thought might be in fiscal harm, uh, and where did it come from? came from the entire country. So that's already happening. It, you know, you're right. They look at Florida, which is, by the way, the way they're piling on Ron DeSantis for everything he does uh, is totally because his numbers are better than yes. Cuomo's, for Pete's sake, uh, the guy that we lauded for so many months. I mean, it's really an atrocity, the, the, um, you know, the, the disingenuous approach to all of this, the media's approach to all of this. 
But, but the, yes, they are looking at those policies, but those policies don't help Democrats. And to your point, if you had to find a unifying theme across all the spending that Democrats want to do, it would be fattening the purses of Democrat support groups. The teachers' unions is the most obvious. We have given, under the last two bills, hundreds of billions of dollars to the teachers' unions, and I read the bills. There is no accountability. There is no specific purpose for that money. And by the way, in addition to that, now we have, in this $3.5 trillion bill, you know, free pre-K. What does that do? It means you're hiring hundreds of thousands of more teachers who will have to join a union that pays money to Democrats. I mean, you know, really, people need to look at where this money is going. It all, the, the other, of course, beneficiary is big labor, which is still a huge uh, plank in the in the floor of the Democrat uh, architecture. Big labor gets an uh, enormous amount of money, for example, from elder care. Why do we care? Why should the government take on elder care? Because, again, it allows uh, the hiring of hundreds of thousands of people who will become members of the SEIU, because that's the most likely union that will benefit from that. It's, it, this is an atrocity, and it has nothing to do with building back better except for building back Democrats. Well, because what happens then is that, you know, those unions then donate heavily to the Democrats. So this is how they launder yeah. taxpayer money into the Democrat coffers. That's right. That's exactly, That's exactly right. I mean, if you go, all you have to do is look on uh, um, the um, website, what's it called, uh, secrets.org or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and Open look Secrets. At, yeah, thank you. And look at uh, campaign money, where it comes from, where it goes to. It, it, it's just, it's so shockingly obvious. And yet, yes. you know, sadly, the people who vote Democrat, who voted in yes. California for Gavin Newsom, they don't look at this stuff. They don't look at what's really happening, how they're power is being mm -hmm. usurped. They don't care. I mean, that's right. a bad thing. Yeah, let, let's just take, let, we, I have so much more to ask you. So so I know you're going to stay with us for two segments, which I totally appreciate. So <laughs> I, I, again, I've, I've been writing down all these questions for you. More with Liz Peak coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter. In for Brian Kilmeade, we're joined by Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and columnist for foxnews.com in the Hill. And we're talking the economy. We have about four minutes, Liz, so I want to bang through some of these if you don't mind. Um, sure. You had spoken about elder care, and I was watching MSNBC this morning, which I like to do just because I, I like to tune in to – I go Fox, MSNBC, CNN, just to see, like, what the top stories are on each one to see how differently things are reported, right? And, and I, I don't want to live in a bubble, so I watch these shows. So this morning they were talking about the budget, and they're like, I don't understand. Don't Republicans tell their constituents what's in it for them? And I'm like, and that's the problem on the left. This is about buying votes and gaining support because look at all the free stuff you're going to get. It may only be like $30 a month or you're going to get, you know, this three, what is it? The child care that we're going to give you more money and you're going to get a check now instead of a tax credit. 
if everybody thinks that way, it it doesn't make any sense because eventually you're putting out more money than you're getting back, right? Of course. Uh, and we've been doing that for years, by the way. It, what's so utterly hypocritical about this is we have two very big social uh, programs, social welfare programs in this country, Social Security and Medicare, they are going broke. No one in Congress is talking about this. But the latest trustees report came out and showed that base, I think it's Social Security has five years before we're going to have to do something drastic. And I'm not talking a one-tenth of one percent increase uh, in, the, in the amount that's taken out of your paycheck. I'm talking about a doubling of what's coming out of your paycheck. Medicare and Social Security are in trouble. And, and it really, it offends me to the core that not one of these Democrats that is so keen to put in new entitlements is at all concerned about shoring up our existing entitlements. What does that tell you? They're not serious people, Mary. These are not people who really care about the fiscal state of our nation. They are caring about buying votes, just as you're saying. It, you know, it used to be, it used to be that people didn't get married and have kids until they thought they could afford it. Somehow right. that entire concept has blown out the window. I mean, aren't people at least a little bit responsible for taking care of themselves and their families? Isn't that kind of what drives people to work hard? I, I am sure you run into people, particularly immigrants, all the time who are working incredibly hard to get their kids into college. I really admire those people. It's not easy, but they work two jobs sometimes. They work overtime. Uh, and the upshot of it is, and, and in New York we see this all the time, I've run into so many people, whether they're doormen or taxi drivers or whatever, whose kids are achieving beyond their wildest expectations. But there's a culture of achievement there and work uh, and success that apparently half the country doesn't care about. I mean, apparently half the country is just like, oh, you know, we just all deserve everything. That's just not true. And we can't afford it. That's really the point. So in one minute that we have left, uh, the cynic in me says this is being done purposely because if you crash the economy, you make everyone dependent on the economy, right? If you shut down small businesses for COVID, if you do, you know, all these things that we're doing to, to you know, hike taxes on companies, which trickles down, you crash it, you own it. Is that the ultimate end game? I think the ultimate end game is perpetuating the power uh, stranglehold that Democrats now have. And they're willing to lose elections. They're willing to lose congressional elections in 2022, which they almost certainly will, and they expect to, but they want to get these bills right. done first because the long-term plan is in place. And it's frightening Liz, to me. Yeah, Liz Peek, thank you so much. You made us so much smarter this morning and <laughs> thank a little scary, too. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to jump in here, we just had Liz Peek on and we were talking about this budget that the Democrats are are um, forcing out there. And so far, Joe Manchin standing strong. Um, 
he uh, so far is 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 hanging in there and saying, no, I'm not going to pass it. They need him. They need his vote. They need every vote that they can get. And he said, no, it's just too big. Three trillion is too much. Make it down to cut it down to like a trillion, a trillion and a half. And so um, I, so I watch that on Fox and then I go over to the other channels. I, I go to the, the more liberal stations and, and I watch them. And I see what the spin is. I see what they're saying. And they're smart. The Democrats on the left are very, very smart. They they push like, well, well, what about elder care? I heard them talk about elder care. You know, it's not unfortunately not in here. Elder care, child care. People are struggling. They have to work. You can't have people working if they have family that they have to take care of. So it's this whole, don't worry. The government's going to solve all your problems. That's what they're going to do for you. They never present the side that, well, maybe if the government took less of your money and you had more money in your pocket, you could pay someone to watch your child or you could pay. So, or maybe one of you could stay home full time because you wouldn't both have to work in order to pay you know, 50% of your income to the government. If the government took less of your income, you'd have more expendable money, cash that you have that you could say, you know what, honey, one of the, whoever's learning, earning less money, you can quit your job and we could stay home and do this ourselves. We could raise our children, you know, kind of like they did back in the fifties and sixties where mom stayed home because dad made enough money to, to go out and pay the bills because the government wasn't paying for health care for everyone. And social security was, wasn't being expanded to, well, it had by that point been expanded to a lot, but we, we get let so more people, so many more people onto our social programs. We didn't have open borders. We were some, we were having all these kids in school that were educating that comes with a cost. All these people showing up at our hospitals with no insurance from Haiti and Guatemala and all over the world. You pay for that. Who do you think pays for that? You do. So maybe if we had less of that and you had more money in your pocket, imagine that. But but that's not being touted on those left wing uh, left wing channels. That's not what's coming from the left. The left is coming from, don't worry, the government's going to take care of you. That's why we need to raise the debt ceiling. That's why we need to spend more money so that you don't have to work so hard to get more money. That makes no sense whatsoever. If your household is in debt and you can't pay your credit card bills, you don't ask the credit card company for a higher a higher limit so you can spend more. They won't give it to you because they're smart. 866-408-7669 is the number. 866-408-7669. And also, you heard Liz talking about the solvency of Social Security and Medicare. You've got, you've got five years in Social Security. And then they're talking about a 25% cut for recipients. 25% cut in what you're going to get. Medicare, I think, is 2033. That Medicare is going to go. And listen, both of these programs have been paying out more than they've ever collected in since day one, the day they first started writing checks and first started paying health uh, care bills. They were paying out more than they were taking in. This was inevitable. What do we do about it? Do we tell new recipients, look, sorry, we screwed up, but we don't have any money. All that money you gave us, really sorry about that. Our bad. What's going to happen, I think, is we're going to means test it. And if you were responsible throughout your life and you save money and you sacrifice, my husband and I live below our means purposely so that we can retire. But people like us, I fear, are going to be told, oh, you saved a lot of money. 
You don't need social security. And you know what? You can pay for private insurance. You pay your own medical bills. Sorry. You don't need it. You're wealthy. You're suddenly going to find out that you're wealthy. And to heck with you, we're going to give it to these people over here who are either irresponsible, never work, don't have jobs, or came into the country illegally. They're going to get that. They need it. They're poor. What's wrong with you? 866-408-7669 is my number. Let's head out to Michigan. Ben, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Mary. How are you doing? Good. Listen, I appreciate you doing a great job. Uh, I just want to make one little correction from your guest, which I really enjoyed listening to her when they met, she mentioned about uh, Medicare and Social Security, which, by the way, I am on both of them. Um, you know, she mentioned used the word entitlement, and I know a lot of people use that term loosely, but really they're not entitlements because I paid into that system. I paid into both systems, and I guarantee you when I sat down and actually did a little actuation there – uh, on my part to see whether or not I'm actually going to get back all that I paid into it. I'm not going to get back nowhere near the amount of money that I paid into that system for 40 years that I worked to pay into that system. And also, I just want to point out one thing about the insolvency of Medicare and particularly Social Security. Uh, if Congress hadn't uh, taken a little thievery and uh, actually started borrowing, and I put that in quotation mm-hmm borrowing from Social Security years ago and not paying it back, that's another reason why Social Security is going bankrupt is because of the fact that they decided, well, we're going to just kind of borrow from Social Security and maybe we'll pay it back when we won't. Of course, they did not pay it back. No, you're, you're, so you're right on a lot of things here. I, I agree with you on them not putting it into a trust, which we always thought that it did. And, and Ben, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, they did not put it into a trust, and they did use it for other things, and they never paid it back. Ben's 100% right. I just want to correct uh, Liz and myself. Uh, Medicare is bankrupt in 2024. Social Security is 2033. I had them flipped. I think Liz did too. But regardless, it's Medicare is uh, 2024, Social Security 2033. Now, as far as you're paying more in than you're getting out, um, maybe. But I will tell you, I read a, a Newsweek report that uh, said that p- people who started donating, people who started paying in like the 1990s into Medicare, those people will pay more in than they get out. Whereas everything up until those people who donated, donated, people who who paid in before that took far more out than they paid in. Uh, And the reason is, is that during the last six months of your life, most people spend the last six months of their life in, in a hospital. Excuse me. That was social security. That was social security. Medicare. Most of us spend because we spend, the trend is now back in the day, you died at home. Now you die in a hospital or hospice that costs money. And the life-saving measures that are taken now in the last six months of your life usually will, will eat up everything that you put in to Medicare. So it's social security that flipped, but it's Medicare the last six months of your life because of the way we, we die now. We don't die at home now. With somebody, you know, with a, with a cold cloth on your head, with somebody, you know, saying, well, it's the end of life. Now you're in the hospital and they're doing all sorts of things or some kind of rehab center or whatever it happens to be. And that costs a lot of money. So that's why Medicare uh, is, is flipping and you're, you're taking more out than you put in. Whereas Social Security now, you're paying more in than you will take out. That's it. So Ben is right on that. According to this Newsweek report that I read not that long ago, I wish I had it in front of me and I've been looking for it furiously and can't find it. Um, but regardless, I'll tell you, honestly, 
I wish they had let me keep my money. I said that since the day I started working, let me keep my money. And if I don't have enough to retire on, that's on me. I can't pay my medical bills. That's, that's on me. I don't think some doctors should be forced to work for free because I was irresponsible. I'm cool with that. Let's go to William in South Bend, Indiana, listening on WTRC. William, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, Mary. I've talked to you a couple of times. It's always great hearing you and and, uh, talking to you, especially I really uh, enjoy talking to like-minded individuals. So. Um, Thank you. There were, there were several different things. There was two topics I was going to talk about, and the more I listen to the show, there's more and more things that, that spark uh, another uh, conversation I have. But, you know, Liz, again, I'm middle class, sent both my boys to college. One of them's just starting his junior year um, in Indiana. They're private colleges. But the, the, the schools, when Liz was talking about the immigrants and so forth, I don't understand why we don't get some of those entitlements, right? So, I mean, these all these kids, all these other students that are there, are they're on grant money or whatever because of the fact that they're from uh, whether it's a broken home, whether they're from, they're African American, whether they're Asian, Hispanic, whatever it may be, but they're getting all of these discounts slash credits. Um, why the working class, like myself, is doing everything we can to make sure that our children are getting. Uh, a great education. The same thing that you talked about early on when we had our children, we tried to plan for it, and everybody told us you can't plan for children So, as far as saving money. And my wife stayed home until they actually started school. We were trying to do the, the again, mm-hmm. we wanted them being raised in, in our environment. Right. Um, and, and then when we get to this, when we're talking about, and I'm going to skip over some, go to the, the other thing you've been talking about, Social Security. I've been paying Social Security since I first got a job. And along with, with the, the Social Security and, and the Medicare, I mean, exactly. They take it out of your check. It doesn't matter what you think. They're going to take it out of your check. Will I ever get the amount that I've been put into it? There's no way. I've been working for over 55 years. There's no way. And I'm still working. So there's no way I'm ever going to get the money back out that I had played uh, that I had paid in. Excuse me, 45 years, not 55. I'm aging yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. And I don't mean to cut you off, but we, we've got a lot of calls here. But thank you, William. Uh, you make an excellent point. But here's it, I'm just going to say one thing to what William had to say there. He said, you know, those of us who are working class, I'm sorry, but I know so many people who are white collar workers who work 13 hour days. So I I don't think that working class are people who do manual labor. I just think that the elites look down their noses at anyone who works. I I just do. They truly do. If you're not the CEO of a company, maybe you worked really hard to become the CEO of a company. not taking anything away from that. Um, But unless you're like an elite, they just look their nose down at you and you are merely a means to an end for them. So coming up, I'm going to tell you what some of the alternatives are for um, some of these programs if we do allow hit that point where Medicare goes bankrupt in 2024 and Social Security in 2033, what's on the table? What's in the horizon for you and your checkbook? 866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter and for Brian Kilmeade. Let me just very quickly give you all the stats here. Medicare's Part A hospital insurance trust fund goes broke in five years. Uh, paying out, it's projected to exceed the income by nearly $600 billion over the next 10 years. Longer than that, we need a 27% increase in the payroll tax or a 16% spending cut to keep the program running. The gross spending on Medicare is uh, will increase from 4.1% of our entire economy this year to more than 6% over the next 20 years. Social Security becomes insolvent in 2033. Under the current law, the, they, they, you cannot guarantee full benefits to people who are retired right now. There's no guarantee right now, they say, to people who are collecting. Uh, Social Security, according to the trustees report, will run cash deficits of $2.4 trillion over the next 10 years. Um, it's estimated to post a cash flow deficit of $147 billion this year alone, almost almost. 0.7% of the GDP. Now, to achieve, to, to make them solvent again, here's what the advisory board says we need to do. A 27% hike in p- the payroll tax starting now. 27% hike. If, they don't, if, if legislators wait until it's insolvent in 2033, the payroll tax hike will be 34%. So if Congress does it today, the increase in the deduction from a worker's wages will be more than three percentage points. If they wait, it's going to be over more than four. That's huge. The other thing you can do is cut benefits. Social security solvency, according to the report, could be achieved with a 21% across the board benefit cut today. 21% gone today. Other, that's going to rise to 26% by 2034. New beneficiaries immediately start out with 25% less than everybody else. And they say you would uh, have to, but eliminating benefits for new beneficiaries in 2034, that would not be enough to avoid insolvency. So if you tell people who are supposed to collect in 2034, sorry, you get nothing, it's still going to go under. It's still going to go belly up. So you're, we are staring down the barrel of, higher taxes coming out of your paycheck in order to pay for this and less money going to beneficiaries in order to keep this boat afloat. And at the same time, you got people like Bernie Sanders who want to lower the eligibility age for Medicare. The left is screaming about Medicare for all. It's going to become Medicaid for all. Lowering the eligibility age to 60 would cost as much as a hundred billion more dollars a year. Is there a, I don't even know what the solution to this other than, sorry, uh, James in Jacksonville, Florida, listening on WOKV. James, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Yeah, they've turned this into a Ponzi scheme where we dump all our money in on something that we know there's not going to be any type of return in investment later down the road. And uh, it's it's getting really sickening. Basically, they're telling us now that we're going to, pay money in and then not get anything in return. It's, it's basically, I don't know why we don't have privatized social security where we actually get a return on our investment because under the system we have now, if you croak before the minimum retirement age under social security, you can't pass any of that money off to any of uh, your beneficiaries, say your children, your spouse, anything like that. It gets lost in the system under privatized savings. We actually have the ability 
to pass that money off to loved ones because it's in a private savings account. You can will that to somebody. It, it's just disgusting that how the money is just disappearing because greedy politicians dip their hands into those savings accounts. And that's the problem. They're going to do more. You know, they want to know now um, if you all your Venmo transactions, um, all of this stuff. They want to know everything, every dime you spend, where it goes and and who it goes to. And they also, of course, want to put their they, they want to tax all of that. Correct. And those who want to do the responsible thing nowadays, like put their money into a 401k or privatized savings account. Now they want to tax higher the capital gains to where yes. as a responsible individual there's really no incentive for me to put money into a market where i only have pretty much the ability to take a loss or if i do get an investment uh, a return on my investment it's nominal at best because the government's just deep dipping their hands deeper into your pocket this yeah. is money that was already taxed through the payroll system that we yeah. invested that they're going to tax again it's I- disgusting James, I hear you, but this is the way we're going. And thank you, thank you so much for joining us. But here's the thing: they've set up this system. They've be, they've they've got, become very good at pitting groups against each other. Because if you pit groups against each other, there are some you know some pigs who are more equal than others. Some animals are more equal than others. Animal Farm, uh, that's what they do, and they're very good at that. You're rich; you don't need it. Besides, you're white, and you're a man. <laughs> Forget it. Give me everything you have because you've been entitled and you got that through privilege. And I've, I'm a victim. Very quickly, the very first recipient of Social Security was Ida Mae Fuller. She collected a total of $22,888.92 in Social Security benefits in her, over her lifetime. She paid in $24.75. So it's been like this since the beginning. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade. I always love being able to do that. Uh, we're, if you did not hear uh, the testimony from the uh, Olympic athletes, Kayla Maroney, Simone Biles, Maggie Nichols, and Allie Raisman. Um, you really missed something incredible. Uh, it, it was it was absolutely riveting. Now I came in a little late, so I didn't hear all of all of their testimony. But one of the things that they did was um, they really exposed the FBI for yet again the incompetent organization that it is. So um, I, I just want to play a clip. Let's go to Cut 19, Eric, because we have, and then we're going to bring our guest in, John Yanarelli, who is retired from the FBI. And I want to get his uh, opinion of this. This is the Olympic gymnasts discussing, this is just a mashup, uh, discussing their interactions with the FBI. Listen to this. I, I remember sitting there with the FBI agent and, and him trying to convince me that it wasn't that bad. Not only did the FBI not report my abuse, but when they eventually documented my report 17 months later, they made entirely false claims about what I said. It truly feels like the FBI turned a blind eye to us and went out of its way to help protect USAG and USOPC. To be clear, sorry. Take your time. To be clear, I blame Larry Nasser, and I also blame an entire system 
that enabled and perpetrated his abuse. Unbelievable. John Yannarelli retired from the FBI for more than 20 years of working with the FBI. He was a member of the executive staff of the FBI's cyber division, a member of the SWAT team, and participated in the investigations of the Oklahoma City bombing and the 9-11 attack. You can follow him on Twitter at FBI. John, John, thank you for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. That testimony was unbelievable. What was your reaction when you heard it? Well, I describe the testimony as heartbreaking. Let me be very clear here. The type of violation we're talking about, these cases, I worked for years, and the FBI works across the board. How this happened is incomprehensible. This is such a serious matter that FBI agents take seriously. There's a reason the agent who had this case was fired, and the supervisor was forced to resign, probably because he, before he was fired as well. But, you know, to me, when I was listening to this, um, it, it seems to me as if we've heard this song before and we know how it ends. You know, some low-level people get get fired. Uh, Christopher Ray testifies and says, oh, you know, it was a mistake. It was an oversight. We're working to correct it. And, and then we wait until the next I guess next episode of the same story dealing with something else. We've seen so much misconduct over the last, what, five six years brought to light by the FBI. How did we get to this place? No argument for me there. So let me state for the record, you've got 12,000 FBI agents, and it's incredibly challenging to become an agent. They really do hire the best and brightest. But what they have now is an absolute failure of leadership in many places. If an agent's not doing their job, it's the supervisor's job to step in and make sure the work is being done. And you're just not seeing that in certain cases. And what that really is doing is not only is it hurting the public, but you're debilitating these fine agents who have the ability to do this work and not letting them carry it out to protect the public. We need some leadership in the FBI to correct the mistakes and the problems that have occurred over these last few years. You know, when when these agents are fired, you were just talking about two who were fired over um, this this gymnastics just debacle, uh, and and it, it's just a crime what happened to these women and the way the FBI handled it. Do they walk away with their pensions? Absolutely not. Uh, okay. Andy McCabe is a great example of that. Fired one day before he was eligible to receive his pension, so you are done and you lose out on all the benefits that come with that. The other thing, too, of course, is you've been fired from the FBI. Good luck getting your next job because that's a pretty serious thing to have occurred. It's important that when things like this happen, people who engage in that activity or fail to do their job be made an example of. The good news is you've got so many great men and women who are agents that want to do their job and do it every day. Like I said, I led a team of agents that did these very same investigations, working 12 and 16-hour days. Something like this is amazing, and all of us are speechless. We don't know how an agent could allow that to happen. Yeah, and, and again, I, I agree with you as far as the majority of the agents. It's a huge agency. You make a great point there. So it's not everyone. But, you know, James Comey, the face of the FBI, uh, and what happened, what they did to Donald Trump, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, none of those people were punished. 
There was no punishment that happened there. So the American people look at this and we're like, the FBI has unfettered power. If I lie to the FBI, my life is ruined, especially if I'm on the right. If, if I'm not one of the, you know, a member of the party, if I'm on the right, um, they're going to, there's going to be a pre-dawn raid. They're going to tip off CNN so that there's, there's cameras there. Uh, they're, they're going to, you know, parade me out in handcuffs like they did to Roger Stone. Uh, look what they did to the people from January 6th who happened to be in Washington, DC, weren't even inside the Capitol. These people are having their lives ruined, and they 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 said, "Look, I wasn't even in the Capitol. I went to go hear Trump speak. Look, here are my pictures. This is where I was when that when that was all happening." They still raid their homes and parade them in front of their neighbors in handcuffs because they dared attend a Trump speech. So, Trust you know, me, what, when we get off when we get off the radio today, and my doorbell rings, I'm going to wonder, "Hey, who's coming to speak to me after having uh, <laughs> talked on the radio about this with you?" And you're right. <laughs> It has become so political. When I was an agent just a few years ago, for my entire career, I could not have as much as a endorsement sign in my front lawn for a city council member running for election. We were a non-political organization. Under James Comey, a lot of that changed, and that has what has truly hurt the FBI. And part of the problem is when Comey was the director – he put people who are of like mind in certain places of leadership, and that has permeated in the agency. What the FBI really needs is leadership at the top and holding people accountable to uphold the Constitution, not their particular political bias. So how do we do that? How does that happen? If you have, you know, Democrats that you have the left in control of all of government at this point in the game, how do you weed those people out? I mean, they feel that they're doing God's work. Look what they did to Donald Trump and to Carter Page and to George Papadopoulos and with zero repercussions, zero accountability. Well, I'm an independent. I look both ways when I cross the street. I do the same when I vote. But if you don't like what's happening now, that's all the more reason people need to get out and vote in 22 and 24 to get the right people in offices and have the right persons. I will say for the record that uh, Director Ray, he's a good man. He's an honest man, but he has been given a difficult problem and he was also not necessarily of the type of person who's going to stand up and speak loudly as to what needs to be done. I'm not saying he necessarily needs to be replaced, but I think we need a future director at some point who will hold people accountable the way Louis Free did back in the day when he took over the agency and corrected problems that occurred in the 90s. The FBI is just lacking that strong leadership in certain key positions so that everyone can do their job and so that you and your listeners can be protected. So when we heard the gymnasts making these claims and slamming the FBI, one of the one of the girls and she was a child at the time was was questioned by an FBI agent without without a lawyer or her parents present by herself. Um, one of them says that the that the um, agent pressured her. Um, all three of them say that they, they made public statements and um, excuse me. One of them, I think it was uh, Ali Raisman, anyway, said that she was pressured by the agent to accept the plea deal that Nasser got to not to not be come out against the plea deal. Um, so it, all, it actually seemed like they were working on the side of Larry Nasser and USA Gymnastics um, because we got such bipartisan outrage 
during during that hearing and the questioning of Christopher Ray afterwards from both sides. Do you think that this is finally the case that will bring everyone together, that will coalesce to actually bring about change, not just in the FBI, but also the DOJ? Well, any change in the FBI and the DOJ is going to have to come from the executive branch, the White House. And uh, is there enough outrage to do something like that? I'll be honest, probably not. Uh, This is horrible. It should never have happened. We have to make sure it doesn't happen again. But I don't think you're going to see wholesale change. Now, as negative as that sounds, again, the good news is every single field office in the country has agents dedicated to working these very violations. I have seen these cases relentless agents going after the predators. This seems to be a isolated, horrific issue. Nothing should be minimized about it, but it's not systemic. And uh, the people who are responsible for the failures, they've been dealt with. Hopefully everyone else is on notice because God forbid something like this were to happen again, it could be even larger trouble for the FBI. But the bigger issue is this is just one violation. There's a lot of other cases that leadership is needed when it comes to terrorism, things like that. Something has to be done at some point. Yeah, I just I just want to ask you one more quick question. There's also a story we have about um, some contractors that were uh, charged with helping the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, in hacking uh, American cell phones and from all over the world, uh, cell phones and computers, and acting on behalf of a foreign agent. They have been allowed now, the DOJ has allowed them to pay a fine, make restitution to, I think that the four of them are paying a million six. Um, we don't know if that's money that they got from the UAE. We don't know if that's all the money that they received for doing this. But instead of serving jail time, they get to just pay their way out of it. And they're saying that this is, you know, a, a new way of, of handling restitution. This does not sound legitimate to me at all. And why do they get this kind of deal? That's a great question. You know, I'm a big fan of jail time because nothing is a better deterrent than not engage in this behavior again. Uh, I would question as to how much money did they make, and not just from the UAE, but from other clients based on their work with the UAE. And so the fines may be insignificant compared to what the benefits could be. Likewise, where is the deterrence to other hackers? In the big picture of everything we have going on in the world, let's not forget the importance of cybersecurity and cyber protection because terrorists are using the cyber network. Criminals are taking everything we have using the cyber network. And if we're not going to deter would-be hackers from going out there with the thought of, hey, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to get fined, that is a major problem. People need to be made an example of. It's rare you get to arrest somebody who's a hacker because they're usually off in some other country and you got to track them down. Here you know who the subjects are. Hold them accountable, for God's sakes. Yeah, again, accountability. And and when I get to speak to people and we talk about these things on the radio, the constant theme I keep hearing is no accountability, two-tier justice system. And it is so frustrating and people are angry about it. They're very mad about it and they just don't see anything being done about it. And that's really sad. John Yannarelli, thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Have a great day.
Thank you. 866-408-7669. Let's talk about that two-tiered justice system. Do you see it? I mean, are you as frustrated as, as I keep hearing about this two-tiered system of justice, or is this just the way it's going to be? And there's a lot of things that go into that two-tiered system of justice and, and just two-tiered system in society, period. You know, the haves, the have-nots. We have been divided very quickly into this country into a class system. And it happened very quickly. And now that we're no longer united as Americans, it all depends on which box you fall into. We're down a very dangerous path, at least in my humble opinion. 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It is troubling to me to see that an FBI agent who lied, broke the law, knew he was breaking the law, and nothing happens. I understand the procedures, but it, it bothers me greatly. Uh, the failures by the FBI field office in Indianapolis delayed the uh, starting investigation of Larry Nassar's widespread sexual assaults of over 100 victims, there are a whole lot of people who should be in prison. I'm glad he's in prison. But I, I can tell you, frankly, as a parent, as a grandparent, there's a hell of a lot more I'd like to see in prison. That was Senator Patrick Leahy at the hearing with the Olympic gymnasts. And one of the things that drove me crazy, I don't know if you didn't see it. I understand it was on during the day. Maybe you got some glimpses of it. What it was, I mean, these women were incredible in what they did in, in coming forward and testifying in front of the entire country of in graphic testimony about what this man did to them. And, and then exposing the failures on, of the FBI and how they, they just totally broke the law. You heard Patrick Leahy right there. It did not do their jobs uh, and did not help these young women and enabled Larry Nassar to go on and um, molest and victimize other young men and women. And it, it, it just, it, the thing that kept bothering me is all these lawmakers kept coming up and instead of commenting on, I guess, some of the problems they just kept saying, oh, you know, um, you're so brave. You're so brave. They all did that. You're so brave. And they are. And I get it. But I think at that point, those women just wanted to hear what I wanted to hear, which was, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Now, Mar I think it was Marsha Blackburn was on um, just on the phone because she wasn't there. She was trying to get on virtually and they couldn't get the connection. So so they had her on the phone. And she asked them three questions. And one of the questions was, is, you know, who, what is a group or an organization that you would trust as opposed to U.S. Uh, AG, which is the U.S. Olymp Olympic Gymnastics Group, USA Gymnastics? Is, is there another group that you would trust – when it comes to, you know, these issues of a team doctor and people that you can speak to. And she had three questions for them. And whoever was leading this, I think it was Dick Durbin, I think was leading it. I'm not sure um, who, oh, Chuck Grassley and somebody else. But um, they didn't let them answer that question. They just moved on to the next senator who just said, oh, I'm so, you're so brave. I'm so sorry to hear this happen to you. Where are the answers? You know, there's Patrick, you had Democrats and Republicans outraged because they see their daughters and their granddaughters and these young ladies. So they're outraged. 
if I was one of those women, I would have sat there and said, okay, I, I realize you think I'm brave. Thank you for that. But can you tell me what you're going to do now? Can we have that part of the conversation? Because that part of the conversation wasn't happening. Who's going to be held accountable? How are they going to be held accountable? How are you going to fix this problem within the FBI? And none of that was there. So I can only imagine how dissatisfying it was for those young ladies who shared their stories to get that silence in that way from our Senate. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Did the White House extend an invitation to Nicki Minaj to come here? Well, uh, first, we don't see this as a point of tension or disagreement. I I want you all to know that we engage all the time with uh, people who have big public platforms or profiles. Some of them we talk about. Some of them are here. Some of them you don't even know about because they're just looking for questions to be answered. Uh, We offered a call uh, with Nicki Minaj uh, and one of our doctors to answer questions she had about the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. Uh, This is pretty standard and something we do all the time. Wow, something they do all the time. Did you know that? Did you know that if you're famous, high profile, you can just get a call the White House and they'll have a doctor answer your questions for you. Isn't that great? Huh, that's so wild. So Nicki Minaj said, um, if you've been following this and we'll, we'll bring you up to date, but Nicki, Nicki Minaj um, you tweeted out that um, you know she she had some reservations about the vaccine and said that the White House you know invited her to the White House to talk about it and then the White House you heard Jen Psaki say that there, so Nicki Minaj put out a video on Instagram responding to the White House saying we never invited her here. Here's part of, and I just. It's hilarious because I love the way Nicki Minaj speaks. It's pretty funny. So here's Nicki Minaj. Now, this is just a small portion. It was a 14-minute video on Instagram that she put out. Here's her response to what Jen Psaki just had to say. Do y'all think that I would go on the internet and lie about being invited to the White House? Like, what? Do you guys see what is happening right now? You know what the request was? We'd like to offer Nikki an invitation to come to the White House to speak with two people, Dr. Fauci and with the Surgeon General. So first of all, what I find interesting about this entire video is she loses that accent that she has. It's, 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 so now you know that when she's on as Nicki Minaj, it's total put on. Right. Because you heard her right there. She she did not have that whole, you know, girl thing that, you know, that she does. She didn't, she didn't have that whole accent thing going on. So, you know, that it's totally put on. But what she said in that clip, she said, don't you see what is happening here? So she made a claim in a tweet on Monday that a friend of her cousins in Trinidad became impotent after getting the vaccine. Okay. And on Tuesday, Dr. Fauci said, no, he, he says there's no evidence that it happens, nor is there any mechanism, uh, 
mechanistic reason to imagine that it would happen. And so the government of Trinidad gets involved saying, no, we have no case of this. This didn't happen. Okay. So that goes on. So then Wednesday in a news conference, as I always said, the health minister of Trinidad, that's when the health minister of Trinidad gets involved on Wednesday. Um, Minaj also tweeted on Monday that she skipped the Met Gala. She said, if I get vaccinated, it won't be for the Met. It'll be once I feel I've done enough research, I'm working on that now. Okay, so she catches all sorts of flack for this, right? Because she's going against the left's orthodoxy and she is a woman of color. And so because she's a woman of color, of course, you have to get in line and you have to be with the left. You have to be with the party. That's what you do, right? Because all people of color vote Democrat. That's what they tell us all the time. I personally think that's an insanely racist position, but that's how the left plays it. Um, she had tweeted that uh, the, the White House has invited me, and I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm going. I'll be dressed in all pink like Legally Blonde so they know I mean business. I'll ask questions on behalf of the people who have been made fun of for simply being human. Now, um, so then you heard Saki saying that, you know, they only offered a phone call to her and you heard her say, do you think I'm lying? And, um, she told White House, White House officials that she would rather not travel according to her and, um, suggested something like a live video or something along those lines. Now, what, one of the things she also did is she tweeted out a part of a, a video that Tucker Carlson played with, of her talking what you just heard her say right there. So she replaced Tucker Carlson uh, agreeing with her. So she gets all sorts, of course, of flack again. Now, um, she now claims that Twitter has censored her. And she claims that she was placed on, in Twitter jail. So let's, let's go to more, back, back to more of that Instagram video that she posted in which she claims that, you know, she was put in Twitter jail and this is what Tucker Carlson comes up and backs her up. And because Tucker Carlson backed her up, you can only imagine how Twitter has reacted to Nicki Minaj talking about not being able to voice your opinion. She's shocked. People will turn their back on you. People will isolate you if you simply speak and ask a question y'all don't see what the fuck is happening and you're okay with 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 what's happening we're no longer even allowed just allowed to voice our opinions or to ask questions now here's the here's the here's what's in, interesting what's interesting is so many of your favorite artists feel this way but they're afraid to speak up and i can't blame them Look at what they just did. I will never use Twitter again. Now, Twitter has since said that they did not um, take any enforcement action on the account, on her account. So they say that she was not suspended. But the bottom line is Nicki Minaj is waking up. This is the woman who sat down with Joe Biden, uh, with um, Bernie Sanders. Remember when she when she went with Bernie Sanders in the election and she was endorsing Bernie Sanders and all this and people were laughing at her? It's amazing what happens when your own people come after you. It's great when they're silencing someone else or their opinion because opinions have consequences. Free speech has consequences. 
You, we have the right to shut you down and silence you because we don't like what you're saying. That's our right. When it happens to you, suddenly it's not that great anymore. Now, um, when she shared the video from Tucker's program, she, here's, she, she received a lot of flack and she said, she goes, yeah, right. This is what she tweeted in response. She said, I can't speak to agree with, or even look at someone from a particular political party. People aren't human anymore. If you're black and a Democrat tells you to perform an act that I can't read on the radio. So, you know, use your own imagination. You simply have to do it. If another person tells you to look out for that, you're supposed to just stand there and get hit. In other words, referencing the fact that the it's just taken for granted that if you are black and someone on a political party, obviously meaning the Democrats, but she didn't say that, tells you to do something, you're supposed to do it no matter how ridiculous it is. But if a Republican or someone, an independent or somebody else says, hey, watch what, what they're telling you to do, you're just supposed to stand there and let them do it to you anyway. She said, you know how many, and people were talking about, you know, you know, you Tucker Carlson's a white supremacist and Trump and all stuff. And she said, you know how many U.S. presidents were white supremacists? Oh, please just stay on topic. Y'all can't do that. The topic is asking questions is okay, but let's make this the topic instead. Nikki talks to white race racists so that you can all sleep better tonight. Dummies. Um, and then she was, there were some supporters, uh, one named Brittany which I still think is Brittany, I guess, said, uh, when will people learn Nicki Minaj is not going to be backed into any damn corner? You all are not going to freely tarnish her name and gallop away unchecked with your twisted agendas and forced narratives. She is taking hold of all the power and influence she holds. I'm proud of you. Now, I think that tweeting out about, you know, my cousin's friend or my friend's cousin in Trinidad became impotent because he got the vaccine. It was irresponsible, Right. But just because it was irresponsible and maybe not the truth, the Trinidad health minister says it's not true. Okay. But since when did saying things that aren't true on social media become a crime? Because I've seen a lot of things like, oh, no, I don't know. I've seen Joe Biden's account put things out on a Twitter that aren't true. So it's interesting to watch someone like Nicki Minaj wake up when she's held to the same standards that the right is now being held to. And now they're trying to cancel her. But I wonder if she's too big to fail. 866-408-7669. I quickly want to get Eric from Orlando in here. Eric, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Mary, I love when you fill in. Thank you. Uh, you, you mentioned Venmo. I wonder if they're going to check Hunter Biden's Venmo. Just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nicki Minaj, I don't know her music that much, and I kind of like didn't think of her as a role model or anything, but I got to give her props. She is woke. She's woker than the woke. Um, like you said, the, the two-tier, I mean, this is right out of Orwell, and as you mentioned, Animal Farm. Think about this. The distractions, like AOC at this gala, the pictures of the dress. I didn't see any masks. Meanwhile, my seven-year-old son sitting in school being forced to wear a mask, or I get shamed and I get denied. Pete, they're, they're jumping on, and it just happened to be a black family. They jumped on them. They shamed them for not wearing masks in a store. I mean, it, 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 it's just the two-tier system and in the FBI and now in the Department of Defense. That General Milley, anything going to happen to him? I think it might because they're going to have to scapegoat somebody in this. 
But uh, Orwell is probably like jumping up and down. I told you, I told you, because mm-hmm. all 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 pigs are created equal, but some pigs are more equal than others. I'm I'm amazed that you brought that up because it's going on right now. It is, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, so, so here's he he t- he talked about the the Met Gala. Not only, but did you notice? And at Nancy Pelosi's and Joe and uh, Barack Obama's party, the revelers, the elite, were all unmasked, close to each other, no social distancing. Yet the staff, which I'm sure had to be vaccinated and present present proof, were all masked. They were all muzzled. There were there were helpers at the Met, and I noticed this immediately, who were carrying the trains on some of these dresses. They were wearing masks, but the elite whom they were serving were unmasked. Nancy Pelosi had a party. The servers who were serving the elite were all muzzled. They were all masked. The elites, laughing, drinking, having a great time, not masked. Barack Obama's party, those serving, the servants were masked. The elites were not. So if you don't think there's a two-tiered system, you're not paying attention. But it's fun to watch Nicki Minaj wake up to it. We have more on Nicki Minaj. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg weighs in. And I love when the yapping yances of The View weigh in on something because it's usually so phenomenally stupid that it is actually entertaining. That's next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is not the woman you want to get your information from. She's a wonderful girl. She makes great music. I would not take any advice from her about getting a shot. You have a platform, sister, that is 22 million followers, okay? I have 2 million followers. You have 22 million followers on Twitter. For you to use your platform to encourage our community to not protect themselves and save their lives, my God, sister, you could do better than that. Oh, my God. As a fan, as a hip-hop fan, as somebody who is your fan, I'm so sad that you did that. So sad that you did that, sister. Oh, my God. All right, that was Whoopi Goldberg and then Joy Reid, which, by the way, I would not take any any kind of medical advice from either one of them, you know. So I, I, I'm not quite sure, you know, what they're—I I, I get that what Nicki Minaj tweeted out about, you know, the cousin's friend in Trinidad, but that's why you use your brain. If you want to take medical advice from Nicki Minaj, okay, but shouldn't that be your choice? Shouldn't you, get information? Shouldn't you have the— uh, ability to educate yourself. Speaking of which, I said that it was Nicki Minaj who was with Bernie Sanders. It was Cardi B. I'm, I, I'm, you know, self-flagellating right now. Uh, and I, I can't believe I did that because I watched Nicki Minaj on American Idol. She cracked me up. She's so funny. Um, <laughs> so I find her endearing in a lot of ways. I find Cardi B endearing in a lot of ways as well, too. But I'm so sorry for Nicki Minaj. That was not you with Bernie Sanders. That was Cardi B. Thank you to the listener who to call in to correct me. I am so sorry. I apologize over mixing the two of them up. But so she now, uh, poor Mickey Min- Nicki Minaj is now finding out that, hey, you're going to get canceled, too. It happens to so many people, but this is the two-tiered system that we have now. It's not just two-tiered system of justice. It's also a two-tiered system of free speech. 
Because if someone doesn't like what you say, if you split with the party orthodoxy, you will be shut down. And let's see, maybe, maybe Nicki Minaj is too big to cancel. You know, we, we, too big to fail. Maybe she's too big. Maybe she's someone who can get away with it. You can't. I can't. But maybe Nicki Minaj can. I want to just go to the Breakfast Club because um, they were discussing this and they had a totally different take than Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Reid. I respect Joanne Reed. She's the homie, but she missed the real moment to teach yesterday because Nikki never said, don't, don't take the, the vaccine. vaccine. You can't vaccinate vaccination shame people, though, either. Like, you got to allow people to make it when they want to make their own decision. Like, this is something that's new. This is something that's, that's we don't know about. Every other day, something changes. Something is different. We don't know about how this affects. Wear double masks. Wear triple masks. Don't wear a mask. You can go out. No, you can't go out. Nobody knows, and that's her decision and her but, choice. And I agree with all of that. Let me make my decision. But but they're right. This vaccination shaming now is getting to the point where you're not allowed to go eat in a restaurant because you're unclean. If you're vaccinated, why can't I eat at a table, a, a table in the same restaurant as you if I'm unvaccinated? What do you have to worry about? 866-408-7669. Rod in Michigan. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, good morning. Uh, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head this morning because I tell you, there's so much going on with these people being censured. And this is nothing but the good old boys club standing up saying, OK, I have and you have not. You know, the millionaires and the uh, political strong people coming against the weak people and the ones that are on Facebook and Twitter and Internet. They censure you all the time. They tell you what to do, what you can't do. But people, are, I'm, a, I'm proud of Nicki Minaj because she took a stand. She's an activist in the situation. And she never said, don't take the vaccine. But people don't understand what she was saying. And that one woman got on there, was running her mouth. She should be quiet because everybody has to make their own decision. That's the bottom line. Exactly. And when people say, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I'm not a pro-vaxxer. I'm pro being allowed to make my own life choices about my health. And I want to be informed. But Rod, thank you. I appreciate you joining us. You know, doctors now are being threatened with having their licenses taken away. If, if they say anything negative against the vaccine to a patient. So if you want to ask them about like ivermectin, if you want to ask them about that, say, Hey, is that a, you know, a viable decision choice? Should I wind up, you know, getting COVID? They're not allowed to talk to you about that. So you can't even have an informed conversation with your doctor. And that's scary that you can only get the party orthodoxy, only what the government says. That is very scary. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, so happy to be able to join you uh, today in the seat for Brian Kilmeade. I am Mary Walter. This next guest uh, had a piece reported in the Wall Street Journal. She works for the Wall Street Journal San Francisco Tech Bureau. And this exploded. And this is so important, especially if you have children or grandchildren, uh, nieces, nephews, because this has to do with tech and its effect on your children. Georgia Wells, 
thank you for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. I am I, I am so glad that you did this piece. And it talks about, and it, the, the, the headline is, Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls company documents show. Now, they have been conducting studies for three years, Facebook has, on Instagram and how it affects the users. Why did they even embark on, upon this project? Do you know? In the documents, we can see in the early studies, there's some discussion about this in which they say that Instagram is coming under increasing scrutiny from um, like the press and outside voices who are you know, talking about issues around mental health. And so this gives us an indication that it was outside scrutiny that helped motivate these studies. Okay, so so they decided, oh, the heat is on. We need we need to do something about this. So how did they how did they conduct the studies to decide to to figure out the um, effect that it has on their teen users? Because it's mostly teens on Instagram. Yeah, and the the harmful effects are mostly um, lots of users, but teens and most notably teen girls. Of course. So they start. They did lots of different types of studies. Some of them, in the early days, many of them were smaller qualitative studies where they would do interviews, like long interviews with sometimes, like, you know, a couple dozen users. But over the course of the years, the three years, they became um, kind of broader. And towards the end, we see them doing studies with quite literally more than 100,000 users and comparing the responses from those users with the the data logs of what those users had seen on Instagram and what they'd been doing on Instagram. They're really quite sophisticated. But, but you know, it makes a lot of sense that it affects teen girls more. As I was reading your article, it, it, it just all makes so much sense to me, especially, I mean, think back to what it was like in, in junior high school. It, it's, it's honestly... I'd rather not... <laughs> But that's my point. The the cafeteria in junior high can make Guantanamo prisoners cry because they're just ho- such horrible, horrible creatures, right? So when you go yeah. on Instagram and you see all these people, all these young girls who have perfect bodies and these fitness influencers particularly, this is what seems to be affecting them because they look at themselves because you're gawky and gangly and embraces and nothing's going in the right direction. Your feet are too big and, and you're a mess. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And they look at that and they're, and then they look at themselves and your friend, you know, other people are hard on you at that age, let alone yourself. And I think it just mentally puts these young girls in such a, a, a depressed state. And I totally see how it can happen. They found out what this effect it has on the suicide rate. What did they find? They said among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, so, so this is obviously a subset of teens, but those who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced that desire to kill themselves to Instagram. And like, what's important about this is this is showing like this is not just like teen girls being sad. Like These are health effects. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's a lot because I, I think when you, when I, again, trying to think back and put myself in their shoes, mm-hmm. life is, te- you know, life is horrible. It's not great. The cute boy doesn't like you. You've got braces. Your mom, can, your parents can't afford to buy you the, the trendiest clothes. All those things come into play. But I have to tell you, when I was a kid, I never thought about killing myself. 
I dreamed about moving and I kind of wished that I was adopted. That all played in there. But I never, I never thought about killing myself. Yet we're seeing more and more kids, teens, seeing that as the only solution in their lives. So when you have something like this that plays into this, this is insanely dangerous. This is crazy. This dynamic that you're describing, it's in the documents, they call it negative social comparison. And that's what happens when someone's looking at their feed rather than just like, I want to learn more about these people, but more with those voices in your head being like, how do I stack up next to these people? Yeah. And it's really important here because in the past, when I've asked executives at Facebook and Instagram about mental health issues with their platform, the responses tend to be along the lines of, you know, this isn't a Instagram problem. This is a, you know, social media problem or a media problem or a cultural problem. But in the documents, it states that negative social comparison is worse on Instagram because when they're looking at Snapchat, a lot of the content is buffered by these silly face filters that people use to kind of, um, you know, like distance themselves from like, you know, the reality, if you will, or the kind of highlight real culture. And on TikTok, things are more performative. But on Instagram, there's really this like highlight on the body and highlight on only showing the your perfect self, your, you know, like yourself on one day of the year when everything is just going in the right direction. Right. Which is what, which, which is what the old people do. <laughs> That's why we don't post yes. as much because those days are rarer for us. <laughs> Fair. Um, but that's one of the things that, well, but before I, because I, I've made notes as I went through your article and, and you just touched on one of the things I wanted to, to talk about specific to Instagram and you kind of answered that question. Um, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how did you get these internal documents? Did I, I'm assuming someone friendly on the inside who feels this needs to be addressed leaked these to you. My colleague Jeff actually really kind of handled this aspect of the project. And um, so I like, I can't, I honestly don't know that much. Um, but I can like it's an incredible trove of documents, just like page after page. It's just like my draw drop, like my jaw drops a little further. It's just like wow, this is amazing material. Yeah. Um, so one of some of the other notes, I said, um, let's see, who was it? Senator Blumenthal said in an email, Facebook's answers were so evasive during one of the hearings that they had. Failing to even respond to all our questions that they really raised questions about what Facebook might be hiding. Facebook seems to be taking a page from the textbook of big tobacco, targeting teens with potentially dangerous products while masking the science in public. Is this as harmful as big tobacco was? That's a great question. I mean, I think what you're getting at is like Facebook's research on Instagram this appears to be one of the clearest gaps revealed in all the documents between Facebook's understanding of itself and its public position, right? Like it's like the disconnect between Mm -hmm. the lines in these documents and some of the things we've heard from Facebook executives is quite stark. I'm not an expert in tobacco, but I, I, like what I do know is that this this disconnect is, um, you know, I think most people can see what a large disconnect this is. Yeah, in, in August, Senators Blumenthal and Marsha Blackburn 
sent a letter to, to Zuckerberg and they asked him to release Facebook's internal research on the, on this impact right on the platform on their platforms on, on youth mental health. And in response, Facebook sent them a six page letter that didn't include these studies that you're talking about. Instead, they said there are many challenges with conducting research saying we're not aware of a consensus among studies or experts about how much screen time is too much. So they're hiding their own research because it didn't what, give them yeah. the answer they wanted. No, and exactly. In that response, we can see, um, how do I put it? Like there's a lack of consensus in some of the academic literature, and they're leaning into that rather than providing the findings from their own documents. Like it's, Yeah. Yeah. And, and you had you, you also note early in here that the C, uh, Mark Zuckerberg said at a congressional hearing in March of 2021, he said the research that we've seen is that using social apps to connect with other people can have positive mental health benefits. Well, but, uh, and I'm sure tobacco, they probably I, thought, had positive mental health benefits back in the 40s and 50s when they had doctors doing ads for them. I mean, for the social media, like, yes, in the documents, there's evidence that indeed for most teenagers and for most users, the positives outweigh the negatives. That, although they don't actually, there's not data that backs that assertion up, but that's very clear in the documents that they believe for most users, the positives outweigh the negatives. But I think part of what's so important for people to understand is that for users who experience the negatives, the documents say that sometimes the the most vulnerable users have the hardest time um, kind of putting the app down or getting help. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, put my head, you know, that of like right. say a teen girl who's struggling with some of these issues, who's looking at this content, who's um, sometimes harder to reach. Like ha- there's just... an aspect of it exacerbating. Yes. And they're right. talking about creating an Instagram product for children under 13 to get more of them hooked on this, to get more of them in here. So but before we run out of time here, you know, I saw that and I thought, well, this is crazy. And now you're t- to what you just said about, you know, there are some young girls who this is going to affect greatly. Well, there's some people who can't drink alcohol. It doesn't mean we ban alcohol for everybody, obviously, right? We, we still have liquor stores. And so there's a temptation for them on every corner. There are people who have eating disorders. Well, you got to have grocery stores. So I don't think that the answer is banning social media. Obviously, I, I just don't Even, think that that's yeah, the way yeah. this should be. And I don't want to give them more censorship power. So what do you tell parents who are listening to this or who have read your article in the Wall Street Journal, which, by the way, highly recommend if you're a parent or a grandparent, you read this. What is your recommendation to them ultimately? Do you have one? So I've been speaking with so many teens to just hear from them about how they manage these issues. And um, one of the teens, actually one of the prominent teens in the story, said she's actually you know, deleted Instagram from her phone because for her, the positives no longer outweigh the negative. Um, yeah, the positives no longer outweigh right. the negative. I got it right. Um, but many of the other teens I spoke to said they actually don't want it to go away. They do value the connection and the ability to express themselves. But some of them have used the um, time, con- what are they called? The app time control features on iPhones okay. or other smartphones to limit their time on Instagram and other social media apps to 30 minutes a day. So I'm not a doctor. So like, obviously like, you know, take right. other people's advice, but just hearing from the teenagers themselves about what worked, many of them said that the time control actually was really important to their mental health. 
Well, that, that's that's good to know. I, I don't I do not use Instagram because honestly, at, with all the social media at this point, I just need people. So um, I I don't have time for the the whole Instagram thing. I got enough I got enough going on, um, and I, I would like I said I need people. I need hair and makeup and everything else. So people expect me to post a lot on social media. Uh, but very quickly, I just want to get your comments on one more thing with the Federal Elections Commission finding that Twitter did not violate any laws by censoring the New York Post's report about Hunter Biden's laptop before the election. That's not an, that's not an in-kind donation to the Democrats. They didn't, they did not violate the Post's rights. They said that they're, um, that they are a base. Twitter is like a press entity, they said. So they, they're, they're getting both. Like they're getting to have their cake and eat it as well. What does this do for Twitter? Oh, that is such a great question. Um, I'm trying to think here. Like, honestly, it's been so long since I looked at that. Um, but Twitter, like, clearly, t- Twitter is sort of a balancing act because, on the one hand, the company, like, appears to want to you know, allow people to express themselves. On the other hand, you know, sometimes people kind of leave the platform when it feels too much like a cesspool. But I don't know how they're going to balance these issues going forward. That's such a good question. Uh, I, I, I wish the Republicans had acted when they had the power. Now they just say, we don't have the power, you know, regarding Section 230, uh, because they, by by not dealing with that, they have given just such unfettered power to these social media companies and uh, the the ability to influence political uh, outcomes and races. And I, I think that it's so dangerous, the amount of power that they have at this point in the game, that I think it should be addressed. Thank you so much, Georgia Wells. Uh, her stories in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, again, Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls. That is the, the headline on the story. If you are a parent, as I said, grandparent, you have a child in your life that you know is on these the all these apps, you probably should read this and learn because uh, there's a lot of scary stuff in here. Great work. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you, Mary. Have a great day. Your call is 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. And I want to ask also about your personal use of social media. Have you ever been censored? Have you been thrown off of any kind of media accounts? I have a warning on my Facebook account, and I'll tell you why coming up, because it's the dumbest thing ever, but I don't, it, I guess it just goes against the orthodoxy, Right. And they've tried other venues for more conservative viewpoints. They don't do that well. I don't know why. I know why some of them don't do well because I try to use them. So a lot of it has to do with how they how they operate. Uh, So I want to hear from you and your interactions or maybe with your kids when it comes to social media. That's next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. So earlier we were talking about Nicki Minaj and how she um, she claimed she was banned from Twitter uh, for questioning the vaccine and saying she wasn't going to get the vaccine just to attend the Met, the Met Gala. And she also posted something about her cousin's friend's brother or whatever who uh, became infinite. He got the, the vaccine. He's in Trinidad. And of course, that they're saying that's just not true. Um, 
but don't you have the right to question? And that's what Nicki Minaj is saying. And they were just talking about the effect of social media uh, and censorship and, and the effect, though, on our young kids. And Gary listening on WABC in East Haven, Connecticut, uh, has a point here about Nicki Minaj. Gary, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. All right, Mary, and you are awesome. And East Haven, Connecticut has the best pizza on the planet. That's my opinion anyway. <laughs> Listen, Minaj, go ahead. you want to say something first? No, I was just laughing. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. It's always good to laugh, let it out, enjoy yourself. Um, Minaj is just a publicity hound. That's all she is. Um, she's getting this all out there. I mean, she's also, I personally believe, she's lying about her cousin's friend or something. She's making that up. So, you know, people who lie will just build up their whole routine on lies. And uh, I believe this thing is a whole publicity thing. But the problem is when you have a person like this getting all this attention, and she's allowed to get all the attention she wants and everything, but I don't really believe the American people are really, really, really in tune to this kind of nonsense right now. We've had enough nonsense for the last couple of years. We had Chinese uh, communists put a virus inside our country, kill people, break the backs of our firefighters on 9-11, then kill it, kill some of them with the virus and yep. break some of these guys. This is what's happening. She, you know, guys do not like a girl who goes to the bathroom in her butt falls over the over the over the bowl. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, Gary. Here's the thing. If if everyone gets who lies gets kicked off of Twitter, there are a lot of people who wouldn't be on Twitter right now but still have accounts. Like, I don't know, Joe Biden for one. We've got more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Nah, not really. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. You can think of me as Brian in a dress if you want to. 866-408-7669 is my number talking about social media and also some studies that have come out. Um saying that, well, this study came out, but these were internal studies done by Facebook about the effects of Twitter, especially on young girls and how hurtful it can be to a lot of these young girls. I mean, it's such a bad time that junior high school preteen age is so vulnerable. Uh, and I asked about you and social media as well, 866-408-7669. In Jacksonville, Florida, Kaylin weighing in here. She's listening on WOKV. That's almost like woke. Uh, hi, Kaylin. Hi. Hey, how are you, Mary? Doing just great. Go ahead. So, like I said, uh, what I was thinking anyway before, I think this whole social media vaccination thing is like kind of in the middle of tearing families apart. In a, in a way, um, I, I didn't even realize I was a conservative before I even started talking about Trump and Biden on uh, Facebook, which is the, really the only social media I really kind of use. Um, so just stating my opinion, you know, hey, the far left is really trying to mask everybody with this whole racial injustice thing. And um, and I'm a woman of color myself, and I, you know, kind of saw through the BS. And uh, just those statements that I made on Facebook, uh, my mother, some of my family really did not have my back at all. Um, I would get side messages from my mom and even on my actual page saying, you know, hey, why are you bashing, you know, Biden so bad? You should be, you know, on the left. I don't understand what your problem is. You weren't raised like this, which really, you know, my my mother, my mother is great. 
she's awesome. She's always been there for me. She did not raise me to, you know, just blindly follow, uh, you know, whoever was talking as loud as they could, you know? So, um, and we just don't talk politics anymore. It's always been kind of a rude subject in general, but I mean, in, in between all of that, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a mother of a one-year-old son and I'm like, I just wish we were all in the nineties, so to speak, uh, you know, have my kid watch the Rugrats. He doesn't get a phone until he's 16, doesn't know about video games, you know, that type of thing. So it's just, um, it's just very scary. Um, and then mentally for some people, you know, I, I, I'm on the verge of just deleting my Facebook in general because, you know, I'm not able to speak my mind and, or should I just delete my family altogether and just have my friends on there, which it doesn't help either because, you know, friends that I've had for years are, you know, not talking to me because they realize my position in all of this. Um, and that I, you know, I refuse to be vaccinated until, you know, three or four or five years down the road until I know for a fact we are all good, you know? Well, you know, here, here's my thing. Cause I, I, I feel you, I don't have that problem with my family. Thank God I don't have to deal with that. Uh, there are a couple members of the extended family, like, you know, in-laws, mar- you know, cousins, not, and you know, like nieces, nephews, that type of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, but they're in the minority and, right. um, we just refuse to speak when, they, when politics comes up. It's so funny. You could just see us just walk away. We just walk away from it. It's just, <laughs> right. we're just not dealing. But when it comes to friends, I'm sorry, you're not my friend. If you're going to delete me, cause I don't think the same way you do. I don't delete my Jewish friends because I'm Catholic. I certainly don't delete, um, you know, friends who have a different taste in music because you don't see things the same way. So if you, if that is, if, if you, my friendship with you is built solely only because, uh, because I behave exactly the way you want me to behave, you're not my friend. There's the road you, if they drop me, I block them. You're never coming back. That's exactly kick rocks. Don't need you in my life type of thing. And it's, it's just hard to, you know, all of these years, you know, that this is what's tearing us apart. The whole pandemic, the vaccinations, Biden being a complete idiot. It just, you know, I can't say anything without getting these strange looks. And I mean, I'm, I'm not really a loner or a homebody or anything, but it's kind of, you know, going towards that, going towards that way, you know? Uh, Well, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. I've made new friends. I've made some great new friends and we, yes, we think alike as far as Trump goes and, and that's how the vision of America, but we are so diverse. There are a lot of things we don't agree on. We come from all religions, from all skin tones, and we've, we've made a group now. I have new friends that I, I never would have known these people if it weren't for this. So I don't view this that it, because of politics, it's because of intolerance coming from some people. So this, if, if politics is what they're intolerant about, to me, it's just showing their true colors at this point in the game. If you have family that won't talk to you, you know what? Fine. Don't talk to me. Don't come to my home. You go sit with yours. If that's the way you want to live your life, you do that. When you're ready to, to accept me and look past just the fact that we disagree, send me a card, you know, let me know. So I, I found that I found the good side in this, in the fact that I have met so many amazing new people that, um, I'm like, this is great. This is fantastic. And it's, it's drawn other friends closer to me who have had the same experience. So you don't have to sit at home by yourself. I think there are other options. So that's just me. Kaylin, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, and I feel badly for Kaylin because I get it. I've had friends that I had, I just, just the other last, last week I said to one of them, I'm like, 
I don't think we can be friends anymore because of the, what you're doing here and the way you're treating me. And, and I, you know, I, I can't believe you're treating me this way. Well, but I said, okay, that's fine. We don't have to be friends. And that was it. And I think you just have to accept that if people are going to judge you that way, are they really your friends and family? I mean, you handle it the way you want, but I, I, I walk away. I'm like, see ya. I just don't see a lot of people, a lot, um, certain members that much anymore. Let's head to Wisconsin. Jerry, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, you talking about like people like banned. I, I was suspended or banned from Twitter for something I wrote. And you know what? Twitter has a perfect right to do that. I mean, it's their website. I might not have liked it. I might have disagreed with the suspension. But, I mean, if I violated their terms of service or whatever they did, it's their right. The thing is, people have this emotional attachment to their social media accounts or their Facebook accounts, their Twitter accounts. They think it's part of them, that they own it. And, you know, but they really don't. And and that's, these are private companies under the First Amendment. They can do what they want, and people can go somewhere else. I mean, that's a free marketplace. If they don't like what Twitter or Facebook does, they can leave. They have the perfect right to leave, and maybe maybe that changed their behavior. I I see that point. So if you're saying something on the phone, on the telephone, that the phone company doesn't like, do they have the right to just cut off your service? And you can just go somewhere else? Well, I've heard that argument before, that they're like a common carrier. I don't know if the phone company can say, we will not do business with this group based on the viewpoint. Can the phone company say, I'm, I'm not saying any group is specific like this, but we won't do business with the Nazi group. I don't know. But that's the communicating between two people. That's not their, that's not the, their own website. I mean, that, there's a difference. But, that's, that's but you're talking over provided. their lines. You're talking over their lines. Yeah. They own those lines. If they don't yeah. like what you're using those lines for, do they not have the same right as Twitter because you're using their page? Because, no, because they're, the, page, the page is more like this. Can I put a yard on your, on your lawn? Can I go to your house and put a, a sign on your lawn and you have nothing to do with it? Even though, let's say, you were renting space out. I think that's much more analogous. I mean, would, you, would I have but a I, right to make the government put a sign on your lawn and you have nothing to do with it? But I own that property. I don't own the phone lines. No, yeah, I own that Twitter property. So you can't put that sign on the property that I own. You rent. You use company's phone lines. So if they don't like your communications, do they not have the right then to suspend your use of those communications? They, they, they might have that. I don't know what the law is because I've heard that argument before, like them as a common carrier. I don't know if they have the right to place on viewpoint, and I don't know necessarily if that's a bad thing. Which should a phone company have to have the account of someone who's a Nazi, a KKK member? All right. So then using okay, okay. So so let's take this freedom of not doing business with people. If I don't want to serve people of a certain color in my restaurant, I can keep them out then because it's my restaurant. I don't want you in here, right? Well, one that's. That's not viewpoint. Viewpoint is something you choose. Nobody oh, chooses to oh, be so afraid. view. Oh, so heard, this is only you can only exclude argument. you. So you're saying discrimination based on political viewpoint is okay, but discrimination based on other things isn't. And, and, and one thing of like a public, like in a restaurant, that's not a First Amendment right, such as Twitter be able to run their website how they want, because if they can't run their website how they want, again, I could go to and put a sign on your front lawn. 
but I can run my restaurant how, but why can't I run my restaurant how I want? I own that. So if I want to have all my servers in my restaurant, because it's a Southern restaurant, let's say I have a soul food restaurant in, in Harlem, like Sylvia's is a great restaurant known for their soul food. It's fantastic. She only wants to have black waiters and waitresses and won't hire anyone of Hispanic, Asian, or white because it's a soul food restaurant. So she should be able to discriminate based on that then, right? There's some people take that argument, but again, the difference. But you don't answer the question. You 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 don't answer the question. There's nothing about that because I'm making a distinction. There's not a First Amendment right in there. The websites there's in the First Amendment websites are protected on what they can post and what they are obligated to post. Wait, where in the First Amendment? Wait, wait, wait. Where in the First Amendment did Thomas Jefferson protect websites? Wait, so you you don't think radio stations, you think Fox News Radio doesn't have a First Amendment rights because radio didn't exist? But in it's re- it is absolute, it's regulated so, so, by the FCC. So you, you, what you we really, can and cannot you, say is absolutely regulated by the government. There, there's very limited regulations about the government. Yeah, you but know what, Jerry? Jerry, violate the First Amendment. Okay, okay Jerry, the- thank you very much. Got to run. I appreciate it. Sorry I'm violating your First Amendment rights here. Your First Amendment right, 866-408-7669, next. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter for Brian Kilmeade, talking about getting banned from social media. And uh, Nikki Minaj saying she was banned from Twitter because she posted a video from uh, Tucker Carlson, and she also questioned um, the vaccine. And now she's saying, hey, I just think we should have the right to question and we should ask questions and want want to know if you've ever been banned. Um, I I was I, I was not banned, but I have a warning on my account because I posted a Fox News piece about the election last year. It was from Fox News. And I got banned. I'm not banned, but I got I got an account warning and I got suspended until after the election. Okay, notice that I got suspended until after the election. It was a factual piece from Fox News. I, I just posted the article, and now I have a permanent account warning because apparently I'm dangerous. Uh, Chuck in Kansas, are you dangerous too? Well, evidently. <laughs> what um, happened? Well, last night I was reading through my Facebook feed, and there was a you – know, I'm retired military, by the way. And uh, there was – this Millie things really got me stirred up. And uh, anyway, there was an article on her about Millie. And I posted on there, I, I said, I said the man should be in Leavenworth looking at bars, uh, getting ready to be tried for treason. And about a minute and a half later, I was in Facebook jail for 30 days. <gasps> <laughs> oh, my. I, yeah, you know, boom. I believe it, which is the sad thing. Yeah. And there's no recourse. I mean, you, you can't. There's no way to go back and try to ask anybody anything because – there just isn't, they, you know, and they, and they made it that way. They, they don't want to talk to you. That is that is very true. They don't. The only conversation they want to hear is hear things that go back at them. So, you know, when my friends say, say to me, like, how can you watch, you know, other, you know, MSNBC or CNN? I'm like, you learn. I, I like to have my my process 
questions sometimes. And I think it's also good to every now and then veer away from what I'm usually watching and right. or getting my news, my news source to explore a little bit. And I think we should all have that curiosity. We shouldn't stifle that curiosity. If someone in your family member, if you guys are all Democrats and they want to watch Fox News to maybe have their thought questioned, why not? Why not? Yeah. You know, I got, I got one more right quick. Uh, uh, two days ago, my wife, who's been fighting a uh, ulcer on her leg, lower right leg, uh, and basically it's a hole in her leg, and uh, we've been fighting this thing for yeah. six weeks trying to get it healed up. Well, we took a picture of it, and we took a picture of her, and we posted these. Basically, it was just for family members, and Facebook covered that photo of that wound on her leg and said it might upset people. And you could open it, you could you could see the photo, but they covered it, and they they flagged her account and said that you know, and she was all upset. And I said, I said, well, honey, I said, you know, as many times as I've been to Facebook jail, I said it shouldn't bother you. I said, that's way. <laughs> wow, so <laughs> that's so the way Chuck, they operate. so we're actually speaking to you from Facebook jail right now. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm in Facebook jail out here in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Well, thank but, you for your service, and thank you for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Always, always appreciate it. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I have a permanent warning on my account for posting something from Fox News. Really? Really? It, it's like this diversity of opinion. They're all for diversity, but just not diversity of opinion. You know, it's okay, like that one caller was saying, and I was trying to get to with him, is, oh, so you're saying discrimination is okay if it's viewpoint discrimination. We can discriminate against you for viewpoint discrimination, but nothing else. Discrimination's discrimination. It's wrong, right? What happened to tolerance? What happened to that idea from the left? Suddenly, they're not so tolerant when it comes to viewpoints. That discrimination is okay. That's where I was trying to get with him, and I just couldn't quite get there. Uh, let's go to Georgia and say hello to Keith. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, great. Go ahead. What happened to you? Were you banned? Are you a criminal? No, no, I'm a, I'm a good boy. I, I think that they won't ban me. I honestly think they're afraid to ban me because I'm black. But, <laughs> but I um, – <laughs> Good for I you. Post a lot of stuff that they, in fact, well, I don't, I don't do anything on Facebook. I think Facebook is a little bit more strict, but um, Twitter is is pretty easy on me. I post a lot of stuff. I get a lot of those messages where they say, "Are you sure you want to post this?" And I go ahead and post it anyway. But, but they're, um, I think their algorithms are a little bit better. And I, for all I know, I'm shadow banned. I have no idea, but I've never really come up against the, the Twitter police. I have had, have I come up? Yes. Someone reported me for bullying them because, which it wasn't bullying. And so I, I immediately appealed that I'm like, this is not bullying. And they rescinded it right away. But it's you amazing. that bullying people, is what they're doing to Nicki Minaj. Ex- exactly. But the bullying is what they do to anyone who has a different opinion. But I guess for Twitter, it's okay if they do it, if they bully you, you know, and they say whenever the government or any big entity says they're doing something because they're keeping you safe is when your radar should go up because yeah, they're right. not, they're, they're not keeping you safe. And I don't mean to cut you off, but we're running out of time. I, I'm so sorry, Keith, but thank you. Um, yeah, they're, they're doing it. What did Ronald Reagan say? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Those are the most frightening words in the English language. Now it's, I'm here from Twitter. I'm keeping you safe. I'm from Facebook. I'm, you know, no one should be allowed to see this because you know, this is misinformation. In other words, they're t- saying that you're lying. 
But, you know, Twitter banned uh, the post saying that it was a lie about Hunter Biden's laptop. And it was only a lie before the election. Once the truth came out after the election, sorry, are bad. So they're lying. They're, they're misinforming people. But it's okay when they do it, but it's not okay when you do it. And sometimes it's not even lies. Sometimes it's the truth, but it's a truth that they don't like, or it's Al Gore, Al Gore, what was it? Uh, an inconvenient truth. Sometimes it's just an inconvenient truth. Well, good luck on social media. Stay, stay safe. Stay out of jail. I'm Mary Welter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.